Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services, and Developmental FX. Each week, you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Welcome to episode nine. Hello, Corey. Hi, Trace. Welcome back. Hi, guys. Great to be with you. Here we go. So we are going to continue on from our last episode, and we're um, diving into the social and emotional capacities. We started last episode looking at regulation and engagement um, and about keeping pace uh, with and matching the child that we're working with. So today we're you know, I'm going to keep in the same lane way, but just expand on that idea um, through the social and emotional capacities. Yeah, it will be good. Let's go. Get to dive in. So I, through the week, had thoughts about this um, and what was I going to bring up and what were we going to chat about? And I kept having this inkling in sessions and I've had it for a while around particularly around kiddos that get stuck when they start to develop play ideas. So we've sort of moved through this really basic regulation. They've kind of got that to a point where they're able to interact and engage and sort of stay in that space with me in session. And we've moved out to now, oh, I actually have ideas and I want to play my ideas. But when you try to add your ideas to my ideas, it freaks me out. (laughs) Or, you know, it not just freaks me out, but it kind of overwhelms me. And then uh, it gets sticky and we hit the edges and, you know, it feels kind of, I don't know. Like Like it loses its flow. Yeah. And it's not fun because, well, it can be fun if you just do everything I want you to do. Like, as if me talking about the child, you know, if I just follow them and go with them, then, you know, it tends to go okay. But then my question as a therapist is, how do I find the just right challenge in this dynamic here where they're starting to get ideas and you know, they're like of school age, how on earth are you playing and negotiating with your peers? Like if you're this sticky in here with me and I'm pretty attuned and and pretty flexible. I always try to avoid power struggles wherever I can, but how much do I need to sort of I don't know, how sometimes I feel like I need to hold a line and be like, "Hey, you've had like 10 ideas and I really just want to be able to add this." Like, is there a way we can do that? Because it's not and give them feedback. This is not fun for me when you or or, like, if the game is for you to stand there and order me around to pick up things, I don't really want to play. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. So I, I guess this is just something that I I just want to refine and maybe we can chat through. And it kind of comes back to, I know there's probably a ton of reasons why kids get a little sticky and they're not quite robustly solid in their regulation capacity, but the stickiness is not coming from dysregulation as the starting point. The stickiness is coming from the social challenge and then getting, and then having a harder time to regulate. 
So how, what do you guys think about that? And how should we talk about that today? <laughs> yeah. So I think what's so interesting here is that, um, you know, when we start to think about children who are struggling in the unfolding of their social emotional capacities, it can feel so daunting when that early level of just regulation and engagement is tricky. And then as children develop a level of mastery and capacity and they start to move forward in, in those skills, it feels like, wow, finally we're at this place of more opportunity and we start to see ideas and engagement and sharing of those and more exchanges. And then we see how offering opportunities for us to be partners in problem solving um, is going to start to be so rich for that child. But then what happens is that um, our, our kind of want for that to stay in that rich space is, um, is in a therapeutic environment, kids know, they kind of know, they, they have this deep wisdom of knowing that this is the place where I'm going to work out all the kinks. <laughs> and um, so the kinks, the tricky bits that you're talking about can come in different layers for different kids. So it's, it's never just one thing. And I think that's where pausing to do more clinical reasoning to try to name what it is for this child that might be quite different for another child. So you mm. kind of alluded to that a little bit, Corey, but I think um, in the clinical reasoning journey, it's really important to not make assumptions about where the, the trickiness is coming from, but to really try to analyze it. And then at the same time, to continue to apply the principles and logic of how we help a child to feel grounded in their capacity and not so stretched um, that we're passing the just right challenge. So kids that have complex processing issues, which is sort of like all of the children that we are considering every day in our, in our clinical world, what happens when they run into, you know, complexity that they can't quite manage is they do the best they can where they can. Mm -hmm. And so what they'll start to do is really show you this is what I'm good at um, or this is what I'm working on. And so sometimes, you know, they'll, you'll see that I need to kind of boss you around because I'm finding my agency, I'm finding my voice. And so the clinical decision that we have to make in that situation is, am I going to let them find that power? And what does that look like? Or am I working more on the turn-taking and the balance of the flow of the social interaction that's available? And then how do I start to wed those two things? Because what happens for kids with complex issues is that they often, you, we have to disentangle those things and allow for them to kind of assemble in the bits and parts in, and not, and they don't always come together simultaneously. And that, mm -hmm. and we can feel like, why, why can't I see this simultaneously gelling? Um, and it can feel a little bit like a pause of frustration. So whenever I feel that way clinically, and I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that from you, <laughs> it's a real tension. Um, 
I think that is, those are the moments that invite clinical reasoning. Those are the moments where not during the session so much, but after where you can say, hmm, you know, what part of this is going to be the most adaptive right now for this child? Is finding power, finding bossiness, finding control, that's an awesome skill, actually. It, if it's deployed in the way that keeps you from being flexible, that's trickier. But for all of us, sometimes we're bossy. I, I can re even remember family stories about in my own life of my, you know, cousins telling me about when I was, you know, five or whatever. seven years old and how bossy I was or something like that. You, you can't imagine that, I know. Um, I'm laughing because uh, I have the same story. <laughs> right? And so, and so we all go through those sort of developmental you know, bumps that are real. And so I think clinically what we're trying to figure out is, okay, if I really, if, if I use that idea of attunement, if I'm really tuning into what are your eyes looking at person in my clinical world, what are your gestures telling me? What are your facial expressions telling me? What is your direction of attention telling me? And how do I meet you right there and join you in what's interesting to you so that if it's being bossy, let's figure that out together. If it's being inflexible, why is that? If it's being resistant to problem solving, hmm, I'm curious about that. So there's always this invitation to just stay curious about where they're at instead of always feeling like we have to facilitate the very next thing. Yeah. Because sometimes that consolidation comes from the moment. It doesn't come from, it comes from our intention, but our intention can't be to urge consolidation down the line too far. Yeah. Usually when kids are struggling, you know, lots of times when I do a formal teaching. You both have been involved in several of those situations, but I use this spiraling graph, right? Yeah. The spiraling continuum that comes from Grady and Guilfoyle and more. And I, I like that graph because I usually think that when a child is at one of those moments, what it's telling me is that they're right on the cusp of that window of optimal adaptation and they're either struggling at the top edge of it, and I need to reinforce what's just below that, or they're needing to, to cycle back to something a little lower to consolidate and pull things together. And, and sometimes I really need to allow that. So we can see children, you know, develop this higher level capacity, and we want them to work from that space, but it's never static. It's always this really dynamic thing that's unfolding. And yeah, so is that is that making sense? In yeah. yeah, that's awesome. My gut instinct is to try to help them regather, regroup. And then often I see spontaneous flexibility. It's also partly trying to manage, trying to help the parents see that it's okay to, to have some movement in that yourself as well as the adult. Because parents 
worry about the exact same thing of, oh man, how are they going to be playing with kids and other kids aren't going to want to play if they're playing like that and they can't always have their way. You know, so it's, you, you hear a lot of those comments. And so I'm often trying to manage that piece as a therapist as well of just, it's okay to, to sort of let go of that and meet the child where they're at. And then suddenly I see spontaneous flexibility. An example the other day is like playing a board game. The child and their sibling don't, you know, doesn't want to share the part of being the like monster. And so the child that I'm working with is like, no, no one else can be the monster, only me. And so I was just like, oh man, it's too hard to share right now. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, sibling, do you want to play? And they're like, yeah, I still want to play. Okay, well, let's play. And then at the end of the game, the child that I'm working with just to suddenly decide, decides, okay, you can have a turn of being the monster now. But if I had forced that at the start, I, I wouldn't, I don't think we would play the game. So, but it's so hard to know because sometimes it comes about and sometimes it doesn't. But what you said, Tracy, was is really helpful around trying to figure out clinically why, why is it sticky? Because sometimes that can be tricky and, and sometimes I can clearly see it's a language issue. I've suggested something and you actually don't understand the language. And so you just say no because you, I've lost you at, at a language processing part. And sometimes it's potentially uh, I'm, I'm worried about anything new. So anything you suggest, it might take me time to come to. But the only thing I was going to ask about when you were talking about if they're figuring out that sense of agency versus if we're trying to get this balance between like turn taking and feeling more fair in terms of the interaction, um, what, where do they come in, in typical, how does that unfold typically usually Tracy and what, what, uh, levels do we start to see those things kind of come about is I mean agency kind of starts really early in the the truth typically is it yeah well even just in the like if in really basic reciprocity right I start to see that my actions have impact on you but that's a really that that that's a really low level of agency I'm guessing um but yeah do you have thought like I just I've never really thought about those two things Mm. and having them separated out and realizing that oh well you can be working on those things separately and how to then purposely how do I pull them together because I don't I'm not really sure how I would do that on purpose in treatment Mm. at this point so I'd love to hear what you guys think about or whatever yeah whatever comes to mind yeah so it it's, um, again, a reflection of just all the layers, right? And so I want it yeah. to be able to be satisfying in addressing that without saying it's just a product of the layers. But um, so... <laughs> Sorry, my questions are usually not the most straightforward <laughs> questions. <laughs> the layers of the questions. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's, you know, um, the layers of of development of those levels of agency kind of show up at each developmental level. So we're talking here about the, the levels of social emotional development that some of those have been conceptualized through the work that Stanley Greenspan, Serena Weeder, um, and their colleagues through the DIR floor time approach have, have put together. So there, there, in that framework, there's a kind of a formal set of levels. So sometimes when we, just to orient everyone, you know, in our, yeah. in our whole group of folks who might be listening, um, 
So on some level, we could think about it through that lens. And those levels are sometimes referred to as functional, emotional, developmental capacities. Um, and so in that, there are these, these levels. But, the, but those levels weren't sort of just invented by the ictal and perfectum and floor time people. They, they're really deeply researched um, social emotional capacities that do unfold and you can read about them from lots of different perspectives. So sometimes we'll refer to them through that lens just because it's kind of a packaged lens, but that I just wanted to sort of say that because it can be a little bit like, well, where do you even learn this um, from if you're not familiar with those treatment approaches? And, and you don't have to necessarily be trained in those particular treatment approaches, right? Um, but I, I yeah. think the idea of kind of understanding that um, social engagement sort of allows you to move into a level of reciprocal social exchange. Um, and you have a level of agency in both of those arenas. And then you start to become a bit more sophisticated where you are now really a, a social partner who can start to explore at a higher level, have deeper, longer exchanges and connections. And in that, simultaneously, typically in development, the world starts to get a little bit more like open. And in openness, it also means that there are things that happen. So you have to become a problem solver. And we problem solve in a social context so those are the first several levels in the formal DIR levels. Um, and so there's agency that happens in a different way at each one of those levels. It isn't like you just have agency once you've accomplished those levels. You really have an emerging sense of agency at each level. And then what happens is that um, the consolidation of of that unfolding allows you to be more effective in dealing with the complexity that you're, you're faced with. So what happens for kids who are struggling with different kinds of um, concerns is that like, let's take the monster game kind of situation. It could be that for one child, you know, the issue of monsterness is kind of appealing. Like it gives you a sense of like, affective connection and drive. And I like that monster thing. And, and so I'm going to glom onto that because I feel awesome about it and I understand it. And it gives me this different sense of power. And so it's going to be a lot harder for me to share when I feel the shiny coolness of monsterness and I want to be the monster. And I kind of can't quite get to the point of allowing the other child or who or the other adult or another person that I'm sharing this experience with, I can't kind of let you do that. So with kids who aren't struggling with issues, we can just sort of set a limit around that and say, hmm, seems like, you know, your brother wants to be the monster and you want to be the monster. I have an idea. Let's get curious together and figure out a plan here. So sometimes you can move into joint problem solving and you can set up structure and you can you can really address it through kind of limit, in a way, limit setting, helping them understand the other person also has a desire to participate. Um, so that's, you know, something that you might do. But for a child where 
that's going to get really sticky and turn into a power struggle. The power struggle usually comes from that child not quite knowing how to have a balance in the connection and communication and conversation that is in a sustained reciprocal sense of the world. So when, when we start to lose that sense of balance and an imbalance is driving things, um, that's a real cue to us to, to hold the space and hold the moment, understand yeah. that the imbalance is a sign of dysregulation. So we see that they've slid down to some level of not being able to hold on to the regulation function. And so in that we can, you know, use curiosity and empathy and, um, and structure and playfulness and lots of different qualities to, to explore how is this going to unfold? What would be the best anchor for that child's regulation? And as we identify that, what happens in this situation you described is that the, the sibling is going to see that you're doing the repairing and you're holding the space and they're going to trust you. So all of this comes down to, in our intervention, you know, our connection, our co-regulation, and our ability to establish that base of trust is the linchpin. It's really the thing that holds it together. Because then you can offer curiosity and, and just like, hmm, okay, monster's really your thing today. I'm getting that. I totally get that. I want you to just be the monster, and, and let them feel that power. And then what happens is from that, you reestablish balance. And balance is that tipping point within reciprocity that allows the exchange to expand. Um, oh. That's so helpful, um, honestly, because I think lately, you know how I've, at the start I said I've had this like weird dynamic and this push-pull between like how much do I stand my ground and not and because my, my gut instinct is to follow the child and to meet them where they're at. Um, and, but sometimes I think I feel the pressure of being, of am I pushing enough? You know, and then so this conversation has been so helpful because it's like, I don't need to push. <laughs> I need to be curious and I need to be empathetic and playful. And then that will allow for what we're trying to get at, which is some better, more balance. Um, but yeah, this concept, Tracy, you were talking about of like, who's going to lead and who's going to follow or, and, and I'm not sure if we talked about that off, off recording or on recording, but that's so uh, – that's really a helpful thought to have. And, Michelle, you were saying, you know, if we do our job of being attuned, mm. <laughs> then we get – we kind of see that as the primary goal, not the goal to push towards the next thing that we're after in treatment, I guess. Yeah, I think it just buys us some time. I have the same tension. It's like, wow, how many sessions am I going to be playing Pokemon <laughs> for? Or, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, but if we stay – in it and really attuned to that and stay curious in the moment, uh, but also in our clinical reasoning before and after sessions, yeah. then um, 
it unfolds a little. I guess we give them space and they take their time and we allow for it to become clearer to us and to them where what capacities are developing, where where are they bumping up? Are they just playing with this idea of um of uh, you following how's it feel when they lead they lead they lead yeah. and you follow yeah. uh so that we then maybe they accept us to, to lead to lead <laughs> and they're happy to follow um yeah but that was really a lovely reminder trace to stay stay attuned and fight our own urge um to move things along in a mm. hurry or to have our theories about you know I think they just bust me and it doesn't feel positive. Or, or to get too worried about like, oh, outside of this session that can't, you know, that's probably not serving you well in friendships. Yeah. So, you know, cause the goal is always, well, how does, how does this, how do I help you not just in my session, but like outside of my session to participate and engage and, and cause I, you really want to do this with other people and you really want to do this with me and I'm here and I'm, and I'm trying to do this with you so that that skill can unfold a little more and you can be capable of doing that with other people a little more smoothly. And, and you can get this really yum feeling that you have when you come in here, just not just here, you know, cause that's the, mm. what we want as the, ther- as the therapists to, for that, to be able to, that skill to unfold so that they have use of that, not just for one hour a week. Like, but I think we can't always know what they're getting from that. And we can have our perceptions of, uh, they're practicing being bossy or they're practicing agency or, you know, I have this kiddo, um, uh, he has autism. He's around 13. Um, I've been working him for a little while. We're in space together. We were probably three meters apart. He came in, we were chatty all the way to, the clinic room. Um, but when we got in there, he separated a little bit. There was a tramp that he was bouncing on. He stayed looking at me. So he was certainly eye gazing, really aware and positioned looking at me, but he started talking about all this sciencey stuff. And so, um, and it was an at me and not with me, but yeah. I was nodding and like, okay. And so I said to him, eventually he kind of paused and was looking, not necessarily for a response for me though. I felt that he was just oriented to me, but was in his own mind. And I just was like, ah, oh, do you want me to join in? Like, are you, are you wanting me to tell you about some of the things I know about science or, you know, I wonder how, how you want me to be here. Um, <laughs> And he just was like, I know, I'm just learning about science and I want to talk about it. And was like, oh, so you don't need me to join in? No, I'm not finished yet. And was like, okay, will I stay here or do you want me to leave the room? Because I was thinking, oh, um, I felt a bit awkward that he was talking at me towards (laughs) me and looking at me and I was witnessing what I felt like was a bit of a personal um, you know, he's voicing out loud his thoughts. So I was like, oh, are you okay with me here? Yeah, yeah, I'm just not finished yet. I was like, okay, I'll stay here. You let me know when you're finished. And Yeah, okay. And then he <laughs> came over when he was finished. And Tracy, what just came at me, I kind of really, this has sat with me. What resonated for me then is um, when you mentioned that spiral of development that He's got some togetherness. He's got some backwards and forth, um, 
but what he was wanting at the moment is to string his thoughts together on this new topic. I happened to be there with him. He didn't want me to move away, but he was getting his thoughts together. So it was like a cognitive um, language process for him while I was like, my thinking was, oh, I want this to be social and I think I need to teach you some social skills because you're on a ran, you know, what, what am I doing? You're just downloading. <laughs> yeah, and I just really had to, um, I think curiosity, you just really gave a really good example of curiosity by the exact questions that you asked, like, oh, like, do you, like, do you want me to be? Like, you were not trying to shame him. You're just trying to be curious about, like, what do you need from me right now? And that was all my stuff because yeah. he was like, what, shame? Like, he, well, I didn't say that word. No. Nor did he. But no. it, I don't know that that was even in his sphere. Yeah. But, but if you oh, shouldn't been... I talk out loud in front of another person? <laughs> Is that something you might yeah. be ashamed about? Well, I didn't know that. But, if you'd, but yeah, I feel like if you'd approached it differently or if you'd said like, oh, man, you're like talking on and on about this thing and it's getting really boring for me, <laughs> like that would potentially not, that would not create the same response right mm. he suddenly would be like oh like what like so together. yeah well he's yeah. just like i'm just thinking <laughs> what? so i think you've hit the nail on the head michelle around trying to be curious and put that into your treatment um because that's part i guess that's partly how you found out if you'd never done that, he wouldn't have never said to you, oh, this is just how I think and I just need to finish my thought mm. um, and then I'm ready to play. Do you, like, yeah, yeah. you would never have found that out if you suddenly went to, I'm going to teach you social skills mode. Um, and I can see why you do that, like why people would think to do that because like if someone keeps talking about something that you're not interested in and you've done the faking interest for a while, <laughs> that you're kind of like, okay, like I'm ready to move on. And, but it's so nice that you were, you were able to stay curious rather than try to shift it yeah. forcibly. Cause th that's the, that's the trick. That's the tricky part well, sometimes. It there? was just lovely that, well, Tracy spoke about that because it all resonated, yeah. but that he had enough language and regulation and, um, was able to just say really frankly with, you know, this is what I need. I yeah. just need to finish this thought. And no, you don't need to go anywhere. And, you know, <laughs> just because I'm eye gazing to you, Michelle, doesn't mean I actually want to engage with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny. It, um, I have, I'm sitting in my office here in Denver and I have a, a little quote board um, of of things that kids and people that I've treated over the years, just favorite things. And, one of this, the kiddos that I worked with for a very long time, he said to me one day, I'm going to read it to you. He said, please stop. You're talking over my thinking. Uh, I love that. And I just was so grateful that he said that to me, just like this guy said to you, Michelle, I just need to finish thinking. I just need to get, work this through, right? And it, it reminds me of um, if I've had a particularly, you know, exciting thing happen at work or maybe hard thing or something, and I go home and my co-regulator, my husband, I, 
I will start chatting to him. And sometimes I feel like I talk to him just the way that guy talked to you. And I'll just kind of slam him with this whole thing. And then realize that it's been 20 minutes. And then I'll say, oh, honey, Hello. <laughs> man, thank you for listening. I think I really needed that. And, you know, I think if in that moment he had said, you know, I'm going to get a turn-taking board here, honey, and you're going to talk, and then I'm going to talk. That might not have worked very well. <laughs> I'll show you what you can do so, with that So, you know, these kids can feel really safe with us. And in that, sometimes they're just working on the developmental level they're working on. And we are tuning in deeply to, to see, are you in a space right now where what you need is for me to, you know, really listen for and support your voice and understand what it's saying and where you're coming from? We work so often with these kids who've had language delays and and we work so hard on fostering their their ability to communicate verbally or expressively with us and then they they start to and then everybody wants them to stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And you know this the whole curiosity thing that you're talking about and I I'm, I know that it's more than just curiosity and there's many ploys we can use as the therapist, not ploys, but strategies, right. That we can use to help support things. But in, if afterwards, when I reflect on my sessions and things have gotten sticky, um, and I have then gone, Oh, I'm just going to let go. And and I'm just going to go with where they're at now. Like, uh, and just see what happens. It always seems to be a better choice than if I had gotten sticky, you know, and I have to be, usually it's like, Oh, I think I've just lost you. Like, I think I just went too high and too far and I'm just going to, I'm going to let go of that because it just didn't work. And I'm not going to take that personally. I'm just going to go, well, this just didn't work. So let's let go of it and move on to where you're at now. Right. Um, I always feel like you get a gut feeling of that change as well. Cause like when you get into those sticky moments, you kind of feel a bit like you feel the tension of the moment and you can feel the child getting a little, like trying really hard to stay in it as well. And then if you're able to sort of shift that and be curious about, well, why am I getting stickiness right now? And then I'll make a different choice as the adult and as the therapist to go towards where it seems to be a little less so, a little less sticky for you. And then often I'll just see things unfold that I that's was looking for anyway. That's exactly right. I think that's the best formula, honestly, because through, and, and so Dan Hughes has sort of formalized that approach that we're, you know, we're kind of pulling from it, I guess, is this, um, you know, playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy. Um It's a powerful anachronym, PACE, to keep in your mind because um, when you're in those moments and you're running into, you know, that edge, what happens is that your discomfort, you don't want to just ignore it. You want to notice that the imbalance is present. There's um, an imbalance in the communication, in the connection, in the reciprocity, Um, and so that imbalance may be that slide down to a little level of dysregulation. So what you're doing in that is you're, you're just noticing it. And then you're, you're starting to identify for yourself clinically, 
how am I going to name this? How am I going to um, identify what needs to happen? So, Michelle, you did such a beautiful job of just asking the question. Um, with somebody who's verbal enough and able to handle that kind of a question, that's a gorgeous responsive, empathetic thing to do, to say, hmm, how do you need me to be with you right now? And if the child, mm -hmm. they can let you know. If you can't mm -hmm. ask that question, you're going to get curious about what are what is it that they're showing you and telling you about their experience? Um, and then what do I need to do here to help achieve a different level of balance in the reciprocity and in the flow and in the circles of exchange? that allow us to move to where it feels like it's going to start to be uh, cooking in a different way that, that moves mm -hmm. us forward. And that's kind of what you're, you're working on. So it isn't like there's a formula. It's, um, you know, and I, I think that sometimes when we want that formula, I notice in myself, like I use a lot of visual supports and other things like that when I'm treating. and But I, I've learned to sort of pause when I start to feel the need to pull out a strategy or a tactic like that, to just say, hmm, is this for me and my discomfort? How else could I be curious and interested in this versus needing to control it? Um, and sometimes you do need to set the limit. Sometimes you do need to say, this is the edge here. But usually not. Usually it's not about controlling it. And it's more about, hmm, why did we slide into an imbalance in the reciprocity here? Mm. And can I just say, sometimes it's me. Yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes the, the child is actually regulated and they're fine. But I um, get bored. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm looking... I had some agendas when I came into the room. I know we want to get into the stube, so it's like, do you just get on the swing and tell me the story while you're on the swing? You know, don't say that. No. There's just this, oh, in me, and I'm dysregulating, and I, I disconnect and pull away, and the balance is with me flipping it, not necessarily them. Yeah, or you, um, again, that expectation of am I doing mm. enough to move you forward. But again, if my, uh, uh, that readjustment of the, uh, what my role is and mm. how instead of doing, it's like, am I being with enough? Maybe I need that to be my mantra. Like, am I being with enough in this moment or am I looking for something and pushing for it? And I don't, like, I don't tend to do that, but it's just lately I'm like, I've been, sort of almost self-doubting about whether I'm pushing enough. Mm -hmm. And so it's really nice to know that actually that's not the way to go about it anyway, you know, instead of trying to force something to happen. It's like, how can I purposely reason out strategies to, to deploy, to allow it, you know? So that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, how do I, how do I refine my ability to use curiosity? How do I refine the empathy space. So, and I tend to, um, I definitely tend to deploy those things, but maybe it's about continuing to reflect on, Oh, you got a little, like you as a therapist got a little sticky there. What could you, have, maybe you could have been a little more curious or, um, you know, and if they're not, if they're younger, cause I certainly have this experience if they're younger mm. and they're not able to verbalize, mm. you know, well, you're not matching me lady. <laughs> um, then I, 
will often pick that up. It might take me a little while, right? And I'll try and persist to see if they can stick with. So I don't know if the idea is to throw something into the lycra or whatever. And, you know, they're only like little and their head out of tipping their head back to look up to the lacquer and throw it in is too hard or whatever. And they, they try a few times and then their behavior kind of starts to unravel. Then in that moment, I'm like, oh, is this game too hard? Like, you know, so trying to just name that and then let go of the idea, like, how is that game important anyway? You know, so mm. trying to then go, well, like, I, we don't need to play this game. Like, just because it was my idea doesn't mean we need to do it. And so, and I think sometimes helping reassure parents in that too, because they think their kid sometimes is just being um, naughty Mm -hmm. or disobedient or not listening. You know, I hear that they're not listening. Um, And so I'm often then reflecting back to the parent, like I just thought like that idea that I had, they were willing to go with it, but then it was too hard. So like there was no point in me continuing to push that because, you know, it wasn't helping them and it was just a bit too hard. So then we saw the behaviors start to come out. So it's better that I just shift and follow in that moment. So maybe that's a bit more about this lead follow dynamic Mm. that we've been talking about. Right. It absolutely is. I also think that there's um, an opportunity uh, to practice really on purpose, um, being free with the structure that we impose that is maybe not unimportant. Like that game of tossing the ball, it's <laughs> yeah. not that important. What is important is the connection and the communication and the building of the richness and the exchange of that. Um, I don't, so I, I had this just vision in my head come of um, working with a, a parent, a set of parents that were working with a young child who's struggling with social communication. And in their play, the dad is really comfortable with structure, like read a book together. And so for him, the task is let's Mm. read the book together. And so he sits down and, you know, turns the page and here's the story and let me read you the story. And what the child is doing is noticing the contrast in the pictures of there looks like a face and then it looks like there's space and it looks like there's a face and it looks like there's space. And so helping the, the parent to just say attune to what is the child interested in here? Your structure of wanting to help him learn how to read this book is beautiful, but let's meet him where he's at and look at what, what's he interested in on that page. And so then as the, the parent attunes to, oh, he's interested in this, then what comment could you make about that? Let's let go of the words that are written on the page and let go of that structure. We don't need, we don't need to be rigid. And when we allow ourselves to meet the child where they're at, then we see this unfolding. So suddenly the child is like, yes, you got it. I was looking at that. And now the child is looking at the book, looking at the finger point, and then looking at the dad's face, and then looking back at the book. And this moment of reciprocity that just turned into richness that was never available before is really allowing for that. um, What is of interest in this moment and how can we share that? And can I be flexible enough to meet you where you're at instead of expecting you to meet me where I'm at? 
Tracy it begs the question then, who's Richard? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, maybe that's the question I'm going to say, think about is um, particularly, you know, that monster example, I guess the that example with the dad's preference for structure and the books, it's like, okay, who's getting sticky here? The monster, I don't really care what token I take, a game. So yeah. I know that's a thing for other people. Yeah. However, I like my floor swept. So, you know, I'm going to get sticky about the floor and you can get sticky about the monster. And that's only going to be misattuned or mismatched if you like a messy floor and I like a clean floor <laughs> yeah. or I like you know, the red monster and so do you. So it's interesting. It's, um, it's about that tunement and matching and knowing of self and really knowing that, okay, it works better for me if it's a little quieter and a little struck, you know, more structured. And I hear, I see it works a little better for you or it feels a little, um, more flowy for you if we have a bit more movement and a bit more noise and, you know, can I lean into that enough where I don't start getting rigid myself thinking, oh, I, I, I'm working harder to regulate when you get noisier or you get more chaotic. Um, anyway, fascinating, fascinating ideas. It's it, just about who's got to tune in because <laughs> maybe, maybe it's us sometimes. Oh, we're always working on ourselves, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, it's also I, I kind of wanted to also say that same boy that had the, the quote that I shared about talking over my thinking. Um uh, a year or so after maybe that time, he was uh, in middle school, early middle school, um, and we were in a session and I was being curious with him about um, sometimes how that was hard for him to find a pause to allow me to share that moment with him. So we we talked about sharing the moment and how good that feels. And he really could anchor in on that because that was really real and juicy and is for him still always will be for the rest of his life. Love. Um, but then he, then I tried to help him get curious um, about when does that happen at school? So that instead of me trying to teach him the lesson, right, helping him to get curious. So then when he could, he said, you know, yeah, the kids always walk away. The teachers are always irritated with me. And, uh, Um, and then I could say, Hmm, I'm wondering if you want to work on that with me. And as soon as he was like, yes, I do. Then, then I could teach him the strategy of you get to say something three times three things and then you have to ask them a question do you think we could practice that as like a thing and then a rule like that became a lifeline to him that he was willing to deploy because he was curious about it but if i had come in on the other end and just tried to teach him a social rule he would be able to tell me the social rule but he wouldn't be able to really authentically use it so that implicit, explicit ability to use skill is something we all struggle with, um, but a really important thing to remember that we have to match it to the capacity and we can't just push it on. So anyway, I just wanted to share that story. I think that's so interesting because you used an explicit strategy, but not until the motivation and the drive came from him. And so it, uh, like, that's 
exactly what we yeah, have yeah, been yeah. talking about That's lately it. was like when when do we do the teachiness like because there is a place for that you know there is a place for well you really want to make friends so let's figure that out whereas if you're not really curious about that it's going to be hard for me to try and force that into your sphere of thinking um and that kind of nicely links i guess that that's in, if we're looking at the spirit model, that's kind of that high route of A, right, Tracy? The motivational biasing to organize the system that helps pull us into the executive functioning stuff that we want to talk about as well. That's, um, yeah. So, right. yeah, great way to wrap up today's session, I guess, really. Yeah, gosh. So, I mean, we'll definitely talk more about um, this social emotional piece because ugh, there's so much to it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think next time we're hoping we can sort of delve a little bit more into how our executive functions help us in this social realm. Um, and we'll tie that together a little bit for us and for everybody who's interested in listening. Perfect. Love it. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks, Thanks, See you next time, you guys. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com, or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care, and we'll see you next time.